0: Charring Cacophony, ending there with a fantastic guitar version of the Doctor Who theme performed there by Borna Matosic, a big Finnish composer these days, tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast. We like to travel through time and space looking at everything and anything related to Doctor Who. Today we're having a look at books. I'm Kenny Smith and oh, there's nobody here inside this Power of Three magic TARDIS. But don't worry, we'll get by. We'll get by because I'll have some friends popping in before very long. Today's episode is actually one we planned to bring originally in November. But, well, things happened, other things popped up and the running order changed. But this episode is still perfectly valid today because we're having a look at the Doctor Who decades collection. The BBC told us last year on the 26th of October Six books will be published simultaneously, each celebrating a different decade from Doctor Who's extraordinary history. From the 1960s, the decade of Doctor Who's debut, to the much more recent 2010s, this new collection of novels from Puffin Books features six different doctors, each in the middle of their own adventure across the turn of the century. So there we go, six books. Have you got them? I've got them here. I've got them on my shelf. They look rather nice lovely hardback editions but there are six of them so we're going to have a quick look at each of them in turn and speak with some of the authors as well so we're going to go back to when it all began way back to the 60s a story which features the first doctor or does it it's imaginary friends by Jacqueline Rayner. it's Christmas 1963 when six-year-old Gerald starts playing a new game Daleks It's a game full of dangers and daring and terrible mutated monsters. Gerald's parents think it's harmless at first, but then things start getting out of hand as Gerald insists there are yetis in the basement and Cybermen invading London. Desperate for help, what Gerald's family really need right now is a doctor. Ooh, so there we go. Let's hear now from the author.
1: Uh, I'm Jacqueline Rayner and I'm the writer of the Doctor Who Decades collection book Imaginary Friends.
0: Welcome to the Power of Three podcast, Jack, for the first time ever, hooray!
1: Ooh, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> so, let's wind the clock back. Do you remember how the commission for this one came about? Because it's quite a, it's quite a different wee sort of range.
1: Yes, it is. Well, it was the same as sort of most books really. The editor, the range editor. Tom emailed me and said, we're doing these books um, and I wondered if you'd be interested. And it sounded a really fun idea. So I went, "Mm, yes, I think I would be interested. Uh, And then I found out basically that the people he'd asked for it were like, you know, real proper authors. So there's a real proper authors and me. And I was like, I don't know how I got in here, but I'm very glad I did because um, it was, oh, it's a brilliant project to work on. And Tom said, uh is there any particular decade that you feel drawn to? Um and I said sixties because uh I I love 1960s Doctor Who. Um it just uh, ooh, makes me happy. I have I love every decade of Who for various reasons. Um, you know, childhood watching the time when I really became a fan. So there's no decade that I'd go. That is absolutely my decade and no other decade. But I I have such a, a such a soft spot for the 60s and the uh, William Hartnell years in particular. It was just a time when Doctor Who was so brave and adventurous, and the fact that they were creating this entirely new type of show and taking it anywhere I just think it is um, it's a remarkable thing so I love revisiting that so again that wasn't really a very hard decision to go 60s and to my relief Tom said yeah that's fine Uh, I'll pencil you in for 60s and then it all worked out so
0: (laughs) yeah I'm seeing having gone over it, it's not the book I was expecting at all. I wasn't expecting sort of first person and the fact that we're going, I think we can, we will warn spoilers at the start so we can Mm. discuss a couple of little bits in there but we won't go too much into them but I wasn't expecting not only some fabulous first doctor but also a a little bit of uh, Troughton as well.
1: Little bits, yes. It was, it is a different book I've written a lot of Doctor Who books Um, I've, I think I've written something for I think I've written something for every Doctor in, in some way or another uh, even if it's just like a short story or something and I, I wanted to do something that was more more about Doctor Who in a way um, something that felt different and I've actually been really really nervous about the reception it would get because I was imagining that Doctor Who fans would hate it because they'd go in thinking it was going to be a Doctor Who story and it's not a Doctor Who story. And non-Doctor Who fans, if they, for some reason, picked it up, uh, would hate it because it's got various obscure references in it. So I did feel a little bit like I was probably on a hiding to nothing and it wouldn't be what anybody wanted from a book. But um, Tom, who I said my my editor, who was a brilliant editor, editors can really make or break a project, and um, Tom and um, and Ruth and the others made it better. They really made it better, which is an amazing experience. But Tom said, basically, what you've done is write a love letter to Doctor Who, and I thought yeah that's it really that's that's what it's about it is about how the doctor can come into people's lives and in this case the real doctor into real people's lives but also doctor who the program the doctor the fictional character come into people's lives and can make things better can make people's lives better and that's really what the book is about. So, you know, so it's not an adventure of the Doctor and the Companions running around fighting monsters at all. But I hope it, don't want to sound sound all like, hmm, but I, I hope it uh, means something a little bit of what Doctor Who can be for people.
0: Yeah, that's very much what I got from it. I've, you know, the fact that it gives you those friendships, that common bond, the fact you can talk to somebody who's a complete stranger but you discover you have this love of that old TV show and then your mm-hmm. first episode you remember watching, you know where you watch certain episodes, find out friends in common and I think that's very much what sort of comes across from reading this, it's got that, but this why Doctor Who is so important and why it means so much to so many of us.
1: Yeah. That is sort of, yeah, what I, I wanted to... Um make a part of it yes and as I say I just you know I don't want to you know it is just a book I'm not going oh this is a great deep and meaningful thing but yeah that is a little bit of what I wanted to say in it yeah
0: in terms of writing it how did you find pushing yourself to do something that's completely different
1: well it gives you that that freedom actually because I have written a lot of Doctor Who stories. And coming at it from a different angle is is refreshing. It it makes you a little bit more excited. And, you know, I felt very close to this book. And I don't want it to sound like I don't normally make the effort because <laughs> because I do. I mean you know, I've been writing Doctor Who for a very long time. So I can't say that, you know, every single thing I've ever written has had my whole heart and soul in it, but there's occasionally a time you know when things just aren't really right and it's just right i've got to get this done by deadline because you're a jobbing writer and that's what it is but i do put quite a lot of quite a lot of myself in 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 my work i do think carefully about my work and um you know about every line that goes in it really but for this one oh you know it just uh, yeah, because it was different, I really went into it sort of quite wholeheartedly, and um, it changed quite a lot. And uh, to start with, it still had the family in it, but it, it was quite a different story. It wasn't uh, necessarily so uh, so real. As I was, I was talking to you before we started recording. I have had a quite a difficult year, very busy and um, quite unwell during this year. Uh, so it wasn't that easy to start with. And I'm unfortunately, I'm not one of those fantastic writers who can just sit down and go, right, I'm going to write 2000 words for my book. Here we go. You know, I, I have a lot of days where I just stare at the screen and, you know, it is um, just blood from a stone. And then what happens Sometimes, is that one day it will just happen for me, and that's what happened with this one. It was it was blood from a stone, blood from a stone, blood from a stone, and then one day it was whoa! And I wrote, you know, maybe quarter of the book in one day, and it had happened. There it was. I got the book suddenly. It worked. That you know, that was my book, and I knew where I was going. And after that, it it was. Not only okay, I'd you know I really knew what I was doing with it. Again, it still wasn't the the final thing. I'd been a lot a lot less um, obvious about the Doctor Who bits in it, by which I mean uh, the links to actual Doctor Who stories, because I didn't want it sort of to be too too off putting, but. I had notes back saying, no, we, we really do need this or I've explained a bit more. And again, it was completely the right note. So, you know, I still wasn't there with the finished book, but that was the point, just, you know, one random Sunday when I woke up and the book was in my head suddenly. And after that it worked, which uh, is, it's always, it's not only a relief, when that happens because oh, you know, I've suddenly got some word count, it's because suddenly the project's real for you and it means something for you. And that's um that's what I tend to find with the things that I'm most pleased with, how they turn out, that suddenly I'll have that turning point in the middle when suddenly it, it becomes real for me.
0: The thing that I took from this as I took the character of Jerry. I could relate with him as being the Doctor Who fan, but also mm-hmm. Claire as being a parent and life going by and getting older. And I think that was, was just the observation and it's obviously you're writing from exactly that point of view and putting it across as as we sort of from going from being the child to become the adult and the ageing that we see and things yeah. that go on around us. And I think it's that human element. That's what I really, really loved and I could so relate to.
1: Thank you. Yes. Yeah, having my little family, I did feel very um, close to them by the end. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not Claire, and I'm not Jerry, but yes, there are parts of me that obviously I used, because so as you say, the um, the being a parent and the aging and growing up and suddenly having to be an adult and all that sort of thing is. Uh, something that uh yeah i am experiencing but i can there's also a lot of bits of jerry that i can um can relate to from when i was a child but yeah neither of them are me but yeah if you if you can't put sort of little bits of yourself in occasionally then uh yeah it 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 helps yeah if you could if you have some links with between you and the characters. You know, not always. I've written some very horrible characters that I I hope <laughs> I haven't got a huge amount in common with.
0: Uh, <laughs> or <ordering> Dream Triplets <laughs> uh, in Earth World, for example?
1: Oh golly. That is a very, very long time ago. Yes, that was yes, that was my first Doctor Who book, so uh, <sighs> I mean, you know I, I can no, I'm not going to say on a podcast that I can see myself murdering someone. Uh, <laughs> no, that is not a thing no. that I would do. Thank you. Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I would say I, I think as a celebration of 60s Doctor Who, it ticks the boxes. As a good book to read, it ticks the boxes. And it's something that you can emote with as well and relate to. It absolutely ticks my boxes. So, I suppose, yeah, I'm your target audience. You win. Hooray! <laughs>
1: <woo, laughs> thank you. <laughs> Let's hope
0: there's another million out there who feel exactly the same.
1: That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah,
0: Sunday Times bestseller, Jacqueline Rayner. It's got room to oh, it. Oh. <laughs> so,
1: but, well, we, d- we did actually get there when we did the um the, the first new series novels. That's true. Uh, Best we selling
0: Doctor Who book ever, aren't you? The, the Stone Rose? I
1: am. Yeah, Stone Rose was number one. Uh, Sunday Times bestseller. And um, yeah, for those first few releases, when they were doing the three books at a time, you know, the one past, present, future ones. Yeah, we were one, two and three in the bestseller lists for the for the first few of them, uh, which was uh, unexpected, but lovely. But I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't us. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Stephen Justin and the others would mind me saying that it wasn't because it was books by us obviously it was because it was uh, Doctor Who books and um, everyone was so absolutely in love with uh, with Russell's new version of the show that's uh, that's where that came from but it was still nice I tell you <laughs>
0: <laughs> So but looking at this one now, quite Thank proud you. of it I think you should be
1: Thank you Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It it feels sort of in a way like it should be my swan song, like my my end of my Doctor Who writing.
0: <laughs> I'm shaking my head, listeners.
1: <laughs> and I, I'd always I'd always said. Uh, with with my children, you know, one day when I am you know less busy and and less poorly and so forth, I will do my big breakout novel and uh, you know, and that will be the thing I will dedicate to my children, you know, um but I'm, I'm I'm not saying that that will definitely never happen, but that will probably definitely never happen. But what because I did feel very close to this book, I thought, oh no, this is the one I'm going to dedicate this one to my children. So that sort of gave it another little level for me. If this is the book for my children, if you don't like it, you hate me and my children.
0: (laughs) It's beautifully Uh. put at the start to fan twin and non-fan twin, beautifully put. I
1: think it's the other way round, but (laughs) But yes. (laughs) Weirdly, actually, uh, for people who, knew the boys back when they were fan twin and non-fan twin, it's changed completely. And um fan twin, you know still Doctor Who's okay, but non-fan twin absolutely loves it. New series. He's mm-hmm. a big new series fan, particularly uh David Tennant, so he's very, very excited for, for the new stuff, although he's also incredibly excited for shooting at war as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he watches it all the time because you can do that now because you get, you know, you can watch that too on your phones. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Ah. The space year 2023. 20, Who of funk?
1: <laughs> I know. And yeah, he's absolutely a massive, massive fan now. So they have, uh, they really have swapped.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant. I love it. oh well sadly my Katie's not really watching as much these days but I think with the return of David I think she'll probably give it another go so fingers crossed but no Jack thank you so much for your time it's been a real pleasure no thank you thank you very much for that Jack the next story released is the 1970s one which is The Cradle by Tasha Suri featuring the godlike Peter Capaldi as the 12th daughter London 1978 Tensions are high in the East End and, one day on their way to school, Sima and her friends are threatened by a group of boys from the National Front. Fearful for their lives, the friends find themselves saved by the appearance of a mysterious, seemingly broken-down bus. Inside, it's like nothing they've ever seen. What is this strange place? The tall, grumpy man with white hair might know the answers, but he seems just as scared as they are. So that's the 70s story. Now we'll move on to the 1980s, The Self-Made Man, which features the fourth Doctor and it was written by Mark Griffiths. Midnight, 1984. In a sprawling housing estate in South London, a man finds himself pursued by a strange hooded figure. And when the Doctor and Romana arrive in the TARDIS the next day, they find themselves in the middle of a crime scene. Thankfully, child genius Matthew Pickles, inventor of a hugely popular handheld video game, is on hand to help. But someone has been playing with something they shouldn't, blurring the lines between human and technology. And now we're going to hear from the author.
2: Hello, yes, my name is Mark Griffiths and I've written a book for the Decades Collection which is called The Self-Made Man. Welcome to the
0: Power of Three, Mark. It's a delight to have you on. Hello. Could you maybe tell us a wee bit about how this commission came about? Because it's obviously a prestigious range that, and it just looks, they look so beautiful, this collection. (laughs) Yeah, they've
2: come out very nicely. I'm relatively new to the world of Doctor Who writing. About two years ago, I wrote a short story for a book called Origin Stories. It was a story about Sarah Jane smith and the fourth doctor which i had a load of fun doing unfortunately uh, the publishers seemed to like so when they were setting up this new collection with a different book set in each decade of the show's history i was lucky
0: enough to be invited on board i take it then you said that you're a newcomer to doctor who fiction but is it fair to say that you're a fan of tom baker's doctor back in the day oh absolutely yeah he's definitely my doctor his first
2: season is the first i can proper well properly remember so yeah he's always been my doctor and i've always had a slight obsession with season 18 which would have been when i was about nine or ten so my my story sort of leads into season 18 because my story is set in the 1980s and i wanted it to be about britain in the 80s about the sort of social changes that were happening then, but also I wanted it to be a little bit about Doctor Who moving into the 1980s as well with JNT taking over and ringing the changes. I
0: have to say, the fact you've even used the words, the the letters JNT, is that's you outed. You are absolutely (laughs) one of the crowds! (laughs) I, I was born 11 days after appear to be regenerated into Tom at the end of Planet of the Daleks so right. like you Tom is very much my doctor and reading this is so easy just to hear that Dr. Romana flirty <laughs> clever knowing relationship and it absolutely sings on the page and I imagine that having had those voices in your head for so long in a good way that it just when it came to putting them down it's just it's like second nature oh well that's really kind of you to say yeah I, I was really keen
2: to sort of replicate the banter of the Doctor and Romana too had. I I think that's probably the best thing about season 17 is um, that lovely relationship between the two. So I wanted to carry that on. Yeah, because I think they just, you know, they have that wonderful, um, it's a relationship of equals really, you know. It's not like a a questioning, naive companion and the all-knowing Doctor. You know, Romana can very much meet the Doctor on his own level.
0: No, I love the setting because it's—it's not somewhere you automatically associate this doctor and Romana, and it's having them these larger-than-life Douglas Adams-ish sort of creations in amongst oh, sort that's of like
2: very kind of you to say. Um, I'll never turn
0: down a comparison. <laughs> to well, it's, it absolutely feels—it just sings of Douglas Adams-type dialogue the way it sparks and bounces. But I think having it in this sort of Gritty it almost feels like, like a Euston Films type London as well. <laughs> and so sort of it's that oh, wonderful nice. contrast of putting them together, sort of like the Sweeney kind of feel with, um, yeah, the, the, like the, you can imagine the streets covered in rubbish, puddles, and you know, there's strikes going on. It just has that sort of kind of feel to it. That's just the image of it. It was really struck me that way. Was that what you were going for?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of the world I grew up in. I mean, it wasn't in, in London, it was North Wales in my. In my case, I grew up on a council estate, in North Wales, in the seventies and eighties, and so I was after a sort of um, what would you call it? Council estate noir feel to it—a kind of um, yeah, a kind of gritty police procedural thing, which we don't really get a lot of in Doctor Who, even though it you know it spans every every genre and type of tale imaginable. We don't get an awful lot of like sort of you know police detective type crossover stuff really. So I thought that would be an interesting approach to take. But yeah, that world of, you know, rather run down post industrial places where there's there's always a bit of a broken glass on the streets and there's always naughty children hanging around. That's very much the world I wanted to evoke. Yeah.
0: For me that's the cabin Estate it absolutely comes across just like that as it's, it's absolutely it's, it just it felt so real it's like you could relate to it and it felt like you could have seen it. That's the that to me, that's the, the highest compliment I can pay that it feels like it's yeah. it's come across that way. Now, we've got a very interesting villain in this one. Um, <laughs> how did that thinking come about? Because obviously there's there's a bit of Doctor Who lore in the background as to how he yes. got to it. We can give a few spoilers, but not too many. We will have a spoiler okay, warning yeah. at the start of the episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I mean,
2: I guess the clue is in the title a Self-Made Man so i'm thinking about the the 80s and tech entrepreneurs that kind of thing everybody seemed to have their own little startup though we didn't really call them that in those days you know enterprise allowance schemes and stuff there's always some genius kid on the estate who'd written a computer program or had some little kind of spark of a genius idea that he was about to become a millionaire with so that kind of which is, I mean, you could you could say that's a sort of positive thing that came from the 80s, although it was at the expense of the community quite often. It was, um, you know, uh, we always think of the 80s as being about individualism, which is the downside of that kind of thinking. So I wanted that tension in there, this character who maybe he's doing some good for the place he lives in, but um, maybe there's a dark side to it as well. So this idea of a, a self-made person both in terms of wealth and um creating their own career but also in terms of uh, some cyborg technological side of being a self-created person
0: yeah because i think that matthew very much feels you, you feels like you could have known him or somebody like him back in the day and i you know i like that sort of that sort of quality of, that we can we can relate to him we know where he's come from almost like a like a young Alan Sugar type or, or younger, even younger than Alan
2: Sugar. Yeah. That's the kind. I mean, that's the kind of thing I was I was trying to evoke there. The um kind of young, enthusiastic person who has no compunction about trampling people who get in get in his way to succeed. <laughs> no reference to Mr. Sugar there, obviously, to Lord Sugar.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. The fact that his name's uh, Matthew, Artificial Sweetener, is absolutely nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> I do jest, of course. So how did you find the writing process with this one? Because obviously with your, your own books, you've got that creative freedom, but here obviously you're working within the Doctor Who yeah. parameters. Um, it was, I mean, I, I guess like any writing
2: job, it was hard, but it was fun. That's, the, that's what writing should always be. It should always be really hard, but it should always be fun as well. I've been pleasantly surprised with the two things I've done for Doctor Who with the amount of freedom I've been allowed. I thought I'd be a lot more constricted in the types of references I could make or the story I could tell, but pretty much I've been allowed free reign, really, which has been brilliant. For instance, I, I mean, when I did the origin stories thing, I had the pick of what companion I wanted to use. So I went straight for Sarah Jane Smith. And with this, again, I had the pick of the Doctor, so I went I zeroed in on the fourth doctor, and um, the, the 1980s time frame thinking I kind of I've lived through both. So um, I, I, I'd be able to mine my own memories there, you know, which is always a, preferable to doing lots of research.
0: Did you do a bit of research into the '80s just to look what was around in particular years and obviously around 1984
2: yeah. here I mean, Yeah, because we're set in 1984, which is a year I have very strong memories of. Um, I remember the music that was around then, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Um, in fact, I'm seeing Holly Johnson in Liverpool a week on Friday.
0: Fantastic.
2: Um, yeah, it should be should be brilliant. And in the book, we have Romana wearing a Frankie Says relaxed T-shirt, which is a nice 1984 crossover. Yeah, I sort of, I mean, I had to just check certain things just to make sure that things like, songs that were in the charts and stuff like that, that I was in the right general area because I think we're set in, uh, so the kids are on school holiday, so it's it'll be August 1984, which I guess I just had to check just kind of historical events and um, chart hits just to make sure I wasn't veering off course, but I could, I could remember that time pretty well. Yeah, and what was your highlight from the whole
0: writing process?
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess it's writing a and Romana, you know, it's doing those bits that you kind of have always dreamed about like just just writing said the doctor is a thrill after you've thought of some amazing line for him you know and to try and evoke a performance out of the imaginary tom baker in your head you know obviously there's the whimsical jelly baby offering side of him uh, but also one thing about tom's doctor was that he could be marvelously shouty he could come out with these marvellous impassioned speeches so I thought yes I'd have to get at least one of those in there as well when he's confronting the birdie
0: It's fair to say that you had a ball doing this so you must have uh, a few more Doctor Who ideas up your sleeve
2: Oh absolutely yeah I mean I've I've got lots and lots of ideas there's going to be some some new project hopefully that I'll be involved with coming out from Penguin although they haven't given us the official brief yet but I've got I've got a story idea in mind which they told me they quite like but we haven't had the official brief or anything through yet so that's all sort of, um, to
0: coin a phrase, stay tuned. (laughs) Well I'm surprised and delighted to hear that. (laughs) Oh we fans, we have our jokes. So for those who are looking for a wee bit more information about your other work, Mark, where can people find you? Right, well
2: um, I'm, I'm a slightly split personality when it comes to writing books. I've done a bunch under my own name. Mark Griffiths. So, I've, I've done, I think, four, four or five children's books under that name, which are generally humorous, sort of, science fiction adventures, like my first book was called Space Lizards Still My Brain, um, about an evil alien lizard warlord who swaps his brain with a ordinary ten-year-old schoolboy and finds living the life of, of a schoolboy even worse than being an intergalactic lizard warlord. <laughs> Yeah, so I've done done a bunch of things like that and I've done some children's books for Bloomsbury which I write under the name of Mark Powers. So I did a series called Spy Toys which is about three robot uh, reject toys uh, who get recycled as crime fighters. There's a teddy bear who's uh, too strong to hug, there's a rag doll who hates children. And there's a sort of paranoid, technology obsessed ex police rabbit, and they're brought together to form uh, the team Spy Toys. Uh, which, quite excitingly, the film rights have been bought by DreamWorks for that. And I heard recently that the wheels might slowly be beginning to move on that, which is very exciting. The other thing I've done for Bloomsbury is a series called Space Detectives, uh, which is about to. Uh, young boys who live on a gigantic space station that floats in orbit around the earth and is home to millions of humans and aliens and they solve crimes basically inter- intergalactic space themed crimes so yes there's a lot, a lot of um science fiction and crime solving goes on in my stuff
0: i love the sound of that it's all good all good brilliant a touch of sci-fi in there and i'm sure that you get subtle doctor who Sort of touches in there as well, because I think that a lot of oh. writers do that. That, uh, yeah. that humor is it's quite influential. Um, yes, I'm sure a discerning Doctor Who fan could probably spot the odd wee reference here or yeah. 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 My friend Donny writes a show that's on Radio 4, Fags, Mags and Bags, set in a oh, supermarket. Yeah, yeah. And quite often you'll find reference to the likes of Mr. Scaroth popping in for <laughs> a packet of crisps or whatever. So yeah, these wee subtle things are there for those of us who know.
2: Yeah, ah, fantastic. Yeah, Radio 4 was where I got my first break as a writer when I used to write jokes for topical comedy shows on Radio 4 on Radio 2 as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. We're now going to move forward another decade to Wannabes, which is, of course, a story set in the 1990s featuring David Tennant's 10th Doctor and was written by Dave Rudden. Donna has convinced the Doctor to take her to Dublin, 1994, to visit the nightclub Tripod. Because Tripod is famous for precisely one thing, the nights where five young women came together to make the biggest band of the 90s, the Blood Honeys. Naturally, the band is soon kidnapped by a family of siren like creatures who want to use the girls' fame to hypnotise the world. With Dublin and the Earth to save, Donna may get her chance to perform on the world's biggest stage. Gotta say, this one, great fun, but I can say that because I love the Spice Girls. Saw them live in Glasgow when they were f- fivesome and. Yeah, never saw them again, which was a shame. But Sylvie and Jenny was my favourite, which I'm sure those of you who know me will know, and those of you who don't, could probably guess. Anyway, let's hear from Dave.
3: Hi folks, my name's Dave Rudden, and I am the author of two short story anthologies in the Doctor Who universe, uh, three other short stories, and one novella that's just come out called Wannabes with the 10th Doctor and Donna Noble what an exciting period to be given yeah so it was when i got the email from my editor uh at penguin he explained the concept and he said you know we're doing these six decades and we kind of picked out which doctors are going where and i was like reading the email and getting more and more sort of excited and like trepidatious and he's like so dave 90s i was like yes he's like tense doctor i was like okay great he's like and donna and i was like amazing perfect couldn't have wanted because i i'd never done a donna story i had done a 10th doctor story with rose set during the first couple of weeks of them adjusting to each other and actually for reasons so it ended up the first thing i thought of when i thought of the the 90s was was girl groups and so that's what the story ended up being about but the first story i wrote with with 10 and with with Rose was her trying to adjust from going from this like amazing sort of beautiful and ferocious Ninth Doctor to a guy who looked like he was in a boy band, and she was finding it really difficult to acclimatise. So maybe this was meant to be. I don't know. I
0: particularly thought that the Tenant Doctor is just perfect for the nineties with that sort of Jarvis Cocker kind of look that his suit has and or suits plural. Just he has that whole sort of nineties. He should be in a group. Kind of just that feel to him, as you say.
3: Yeah, he's a little Brit pop. He's a little like like Stephen Gately he had a boy band, like fresh faced, earnest, but you know, complicated. It just like for me, like so. I was born in '88. Um, I've looked the same way. I look like I've looked 35 since I was 20, and I think I will continue to look 35 until I'm like 45, which is great because I don't have a lot of face. It's mostly beard. And I grew up like loving girl groups and and, and boy groups. That was kind of the. The thing that I was really, really into. And I have a particular association in my head with girl groups and with Doctor Who because a very good friend of mine, uh, Sally, who the book is dedicated to, she and I had a conversation about pop music uh, when we first knew each other because she's a pop singer. And I was ragging on pop a little bit because I'm a sort of a classic rock person at heart. And uh, she proceeded to fall into kind of a TED talk for an hour on the power and the importance of pop music and the complicated machinery first of all behind pop songs and then also behind pop groups and how they're put together and by the end of it I was slightly blistered with the force of her knowledge and she was also a huge Doctor Who fan so I guess there's an even bigger sort of connection in my head between because like I suppose the idea not to get too ahead of myself the idea behind Wannabes is that yes pop music is manufactured, a lot of it. But what it means to the people who like it is not manufactured. That's very real and organic. And those two things could exist kind of in the same space.
0: Yeah, I'm going to quote um, just a bit that uh, I highlighted. Oh, no. Uh, No, no, it's good. It's from page 94. The Honeys weren't a group of girls who fell in with each other by accident and rose to stardom through talent and heart. They were a product designed by a process as heartfelt and authentic as stamping a logo on a shirt. Now, yes, that is so true. But this is the thing that, okay, I was um, in 1996 when the Spice Girls emerged, I was 22 and I absolutely fell in love with them. One of my best friends Walter who's listening to this, he discovered them on the Box channel and we just sat and watched the video for Wannabe over and over and over again. And I, even now to this day, I still love Jerry Halliwell. I even had a cardboard cutout of her beside my desk at work. I was 22. <laughs> One of my colleagues, amazing, Alison, yeah. Well, Alison very kindly got a post-it note and wrote access all areas and stuck it on Jerry's crotch, which is in the oh, right? Geez. Doing the pose. <laughs> and, uh, which was very funny. And, um, so yes, I, I'm absolutely your target demographic for this because. I absolutely love Spice Girls and Girls Aloud and all the classics. It's quite scary to call them classics. So who are your favorite girl band, if you have to pick one?
3: So I was deeply in love with All Saints because they just seem to have a very different... Vibe. I was an indie music vibe, uh, particularly with their music videos. Like I was big into watching music videos, and because there were these little, like, essentially short stories. Like you know, Wanna Be. You can watch every frame of Wanna Be, and a story is being told. And I've had a long. I've written like one music video, which is very proud of. And uh, so I liked All Saints for the moodiness, but the Spice Girls as it was my first introduction to this sort of pantheon. The idea that like not just singers in a group, but each one meant something. Each one had a role to play. So you had your, uh, you know, the charismatic one who is not the best singer, but the the one who is like the most that sort of like you know has the has the sort of like majesty of a star on stage. And then you have like the singer and you have the dancer. And I uh, these these terms were sort of solidified for me when I talked to Sally about because she consulted on the book uh, very importantly, and she was like, and you know, and then you have the one who's in the group. And you're not quite sure why but they're there because five looks better than four basically and so yeah with like like i loved the spice girls loved um bewitched as well um an irish band that um or group that came along maybe a couple of years after uh i was more boy zone than westlife um and then i had a, like a soft spot for the kind of flash in the pan boy groups that had like a song and kind of disappeared and like I'll say that and someone will write in saying, well, actually, Dave, they had many complicated albums and you just didn't sort of, I think when you're like, "Cause I, was, I suppose I was like 10 or 11 and you, I didn't have, I grew up in a tiny village. Um, there were more people on the Zoom call than around the village that I grew up. And so I didn't have like access to outside, like, like Donna in the story mentions being on the forums and things. Well, I had no access to any of that. So if a group didn't pop into top 30 hits, which is this Irish show that covered the hits, as soon as they left that show, it was like, they totally vanished. And so I think one of the reasons Spice Girls is so ingrained is I think they sat at the top of the charts for 13, 14 weeks, like so much so, it was incredibly jarring when they left because we always knew they'd be number one. And then they were knocked off, I think, by the Prodigy Firestarter, which tonally was so jarring to 11-year-old me um, that I resented the Prodigy for years afterwards because like, what is this black and white nightmare duel when my girls have gone? So, I mean, Spice Girls were kind of the OG for me, basically.
0: Were you ever a fan of Six with Nadine Coyle before she had to leave? This is me showing my Irish oh, the, girl group knowledge. I'm really quite sad this Travis.
3: way. <laughs> <laughs> um, six, were, six were good. I remember seeing Six, and I, but I also, like, there was nothing about Six that stood out enough for me that I was like, yes, this is a good example of the genre, but there was nothing weird or odd that sort of jammed in my head, basically. No offence to them, um, but no, yeah, they weren't. Were you, were you a big Six person? I, I quite liked the first couple of singles, but then after
0: that, they sort of just flopped away. But um, yeah, I was I was aware of their work, and uh, particularly the yeah. Nadine controversy. It was one of those ones that, following uh, online back in the early internet days, it's still early internet, well late nineties, early noughties, So yeah, it was always
3: always good fun but at least i was glad one, when nadine appeared and obviously made it her so yay she got her moment yeah i mean like like one of the one of the reasons that um wannabes is set in tripod and uh, the nightclub in dubbins because that's where the boy's own auditions were held and like i was i was too young to have been advertised to in these much like nadine but um the idea of all these people lining up and hoping for this moment of, of stardom and like trying to uh trying to make it big it just feels very like thematic along with like you know the doctor shows up and finds somebody and brings them out into the wider universe and and those people do shine brightly as stars sometimes briefly and so maybe my brain was making a little connection between that and like these hopefuls trying to get into Boyzone. although i will say i put a lot of effort into trying to make it trying to make the novella accurate and I did a lot of like research on what Dublin looked like in ninety in ninety six and I spoke to a few people who had gone to tripod and been to tripod at that time and I was really proud of the amount of work that I'd done even even if there's a bit where a bunch of roadies are and i'm I'm not a musician but there's a bit where a bunch of roadies are having a conversation and as far as i could make it that what they talk about before the doctor interrupts them with his own idea of like what a good sound system is is accurate and i was really proud of myself and then it went to print and a week later i was at a wedding and i was talking to the groom who didn't know very well and he just offhandedly said oh you know it wasn't called tripod in, in in 96 and i was like what he's like yeah yeah it was called something else and apparently I like grabbed him by the lapels at his wedding and was like but we've gone to print Uh, so there's one glaring mistake in it but you can call that timey-wimey it's a different timeline something something it's It's the effects of of the time war that's what it is if in doubt blame it the time war Oh, exact, 100%. It's Faction Paradox. They just completely ruined everything. <laughs> it's
0: grand. Get away with that. Oh, my um, goodness. You've just completely outed yourself with those two words there, saying Faction
3: Paradox. <laughs> the, my favourite, like, like, I never claimed to... Be I wouldn't even never claim to be an expert on Doctor Who, but the little thing I love, like, revealing to people who are really into into Doctor Who is my first experience of Doctor Who was reading Alien Bodies by Lawrence Miles, And it's a wonder I'm still alive. I was like 14, 15, I was like, oh, this looks like like an interesting novel. And I read it, and by the end of it, my brain had leaked out my ears. And uh, yeah, so like, you know, caught up with everything else in, in kind of college and things like that, but it was a very strange, a very strange introduction for a rural Irish teenager. Yeah, I'm.
0: I do love it. I always love the fact there's uh, effectively uh, a character who's somewhat you could say is akin to a Louis Walsh type manager type person in there as well. Because I'm not going to lie, I heard him saying every single last line. All that was missing was you remind me of a young villain, whoever it may be. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it, it is an interesting. Like the star, the other bit of the pantheon, the people that doesn't end up on the stage is the manager of the of girl groups and this person behind the scenes who sort of. And I and I, you know, I had to put one of those in the in the book, but I didn't want him to be. He's not awful because I didn't want to write about that. But he is, you know, he is casting for for a show or for a play. And I liked writing all the scenes where he's like, oh, I've created something I cannot control. I've created something that actually is going to, you know, far outlive me and, and move on past me. And I think that's a big thing with the Spice Girls. Like, obviously they were formed, but everything they did after that was them, you know? And I think even like this is, I think this is true that the Jerry from the beginning, was very, very interested in human rights. And that was something that she brought through the band and sort of like, you know, and I, know she's a, I think she still is a, a UN a human rights ambassador, but like the, just the, the idea of like, I'll become a girl, get into a girl group to do good. I think is really nice as well as like, you know, run around and sing songs and wear a Union Jack dress and stuff.
0: <laughs> How did you find writing for the Doctor and Donna as characters because their voices are so clear and well-defined well already?
3: No, it's it's always terrifying. Like, you can just, like, I always say that, you know, with your own original work, you have to worry about being good or bad, but with Doctor Who, you can be wrong. Like, you can just be wrong and and there's very many people out there who can tell you and will in a variety of different tones that you like made a mistake and look i'm very firmly aware that this is a this is a am uh, picking up something very valuable and very dear to a lot of people and you have to treat it very very preciously and then also because it's doctor who anything you don't like that i write will probably change or be red cod or do something else in the future uh because it's very it's a very elastic elastic universe and so taking on i had written ten before but I'd never written Donna and obviously it's a big year to be doing it and what I like about Donna is Donna is first of all it's not a romantic relationship I think that's one of everyone's favourite things about the Doctor and Donna like they love each other but it is this like platonic mate situation, and actually I saw some I, I saw some discourse this morning that some dialogue has been released from one of the new episodes, and the Doctor says he loves Donna, and it's quite rare for the Doctor to say they love a companion, so that I just think that's really sweet. And uh, but she is a little older, and she's had more like all of the companions, especially RTD's companions, I feel, had full and interesting lives before they meet the Doctor but Donna's had a little bit more of that. And so delving into her background and what she did before uh, meeting the doctor was really fun. And uh, like, the, the sort of like, she's a person who is Fiercely intelligent, fiercely talented, incredibly charismatic, but hasn't quite found like she bounces to temp jobs. Is the thing that she bounces between. She hasn't quite found who she is, and that's such a that's a very YA thing, and it's a very young person thing. But I think we need to see people who. What would what would I what would we say, Don? And like I have her actual birth date somewhere, but like in the in her first appearance, she's like early thirties, maybe. Yeah, that's what I always or assumed. Code, And, like, there needs to be more fiction about people in their early 30s who haven't quite figured things out, you know, because that can't all be reserved for people in their early 20s. Like, I'm 35, I have no idea what I'm doing at the best of times. And so that's something that I find really, she's like a key waiting a lock. And that lock is the entire universe, basically. And it's also this is also very much Donna's story as opposed to like the Doctor is there and he's present and he gets to do lots of Doctory things and but part of the appeal of writing Wannabes was this is Donna's show and the Doctor is just along for it so there's a bit quite early on where the doctor says, okay Donna you pick the next place we go and she's like I want to go to the 16th of November 19 or the 10th of November 1996 and he's like that's distressingly specific and she's like <laughs> we're going to something I want to go to it's always apocalypses and planets blowing up and I just can we just go to a girl group and he's like we could go to space Mozart she's like I don't want to go to space Mozart <laughs> I want to go to my thing and uh, I just think that's a very Donna thing she is caught up in the the wonder and the glow of like of being the of being the Doctor's companion, but she also has her own stuff to be at, and that's what really like attracts me to her, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always think of her and the Doctor's relationship as being like exes who got on very well. They would never work as a couple, but they got on. Still, and they yeah. have that that banter between them and sort of just getting in little amusing digs at one another, but I, I love them. I think they're my favorite doctor and companion yeah. pairing from our. Like they made stuff. out
3: once when they were twenty two, and have now all worry about that as a component of their their relationship is gone, and now they're yep. just like great. Friends. Yes. It's kind of a little... I recently watched all of Seinfeld, which I'd never watched. And like, there is one thing I find refreshing. I mean, they're awful people. People kind of call it the pre-Friends, but it's actually the pre-Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But the way that Jerry and Elaine reference without poison or uh, anger at each other that they used to date and it didn't work out, I think is a really nice thing. And so the Doctor and Donna, I mean, they don't have any... They have unbelievable chemistry, but it's very platonic chemistry. And that is especially after Rose and after Martha, that was hugely, hugely needed, I think, just as like a nice breath of fresh air. Fantastic. So,
0: how do you look back on it? You must have been so excited when you got through the final copies and just thinking, there we go, my novella, my name, David Tennant picture, silhouette,
3: there we go, beautiful. I mean, just the presentation of it. And like all the Doctor Who books that I've been lucky enough to do are are, are really beautiful. And the... Alexis Snell was my first uh, illustrator on the first two books. And they have a very particular kind of woodcut style, which is really... Um, which is really nice I mean I would say that because they're my little paper babies Uh, but it's like distinctive and has like it makes them feel together and then I did a few stories for the origin stories anthology which has a kind of photo realistic cover which is really cool but this is like a a thing you know they're all stylistically hardback and very beautiful and like strange in their their covers very kind of futuristic and the design team did an absolutely incredible job and I got to meet um, the head designer at the Puffin' summer party and I just like fanboyed over him because what he had done was so amazing and seeing your work beside other people's makes you feel like you're like I always feel with Doctor Who I'm like adding a tiny room onto an already existing house and you know I have my own little contribution beside all these huge incredible complicated complica- um, uh, additions but feeling like I'm part of a gang is really cool, like the six of us. And I'm working my way through them. I haven't read them all yet because I'm sort of, I just bought my personal copies the other day. But it just feels really nice to be a star in a constellation. And it's kind of a snapshot of the year that it is, you know? So that is, it's really, i like, anytime someone hands me a book that I wrote and they go, look at this thing that you made and it's real, always feels really, I still can't believe this is my job. you know? Like, I'm so perpendicular to being good at things and like having having my name beside that logo is never going to get old
0: definitely not tell us about some of your other paper babies and where people can find out more information about your other work
3: yeah so my, my first books were a, a young adult trilogy that I would say is very tonally inspired by my love of Doctor Who in that it is they're irreverent, um, they're quite scary in places, I hope. The main character is somebody who is uh, maybe not your usual kind of main character and his, and his, and his thing is em- empathy and caring and trying to fix things. He's also very anxious because I am. And you can find information about them. They're published by Puffin. You can find information about them on daverutten.com which is my website. And then... It was just before they came out, I was at a dinner with some Penguin people, uh, people who worked at Penguin, not some weird sort of alien. I was just
0: thinking that'd be fantastic.
3: Um, Just just like my mom, God bless my mom, is a a very nice country Roman. And she was like, when I was going over to meet them first, she was like, and will you meet Mr. Penguin? And I said, I don't know if there is a Mr. Penguin, (laughs) Um, but I'll check. So it was a few weeks before, uh, nights came out and I was at dinner and I was talking to um, the woman in charge of the tie-in books at at Penguin and she uh, was chatting about Doctor Who and I was like I love Doctor Who and she's like oh you know we produce those books would you like to write and then my editor jumped in between us and was like not he's done the trilogy and so like true to form a couple of weeks after the third book came out they asked me to write an anthology of short stories, each one about a different monster. So that's 12 Angels Weeping, the first one I did. Um, and also Christmas, they were like monsters and Christmas. So I was like, sure, I can jam those two things together. And then I did the Wintertime Paradox, which features the only New Who appearance of a particular faction that is very dear to some people's, well, a fraction of a faction, a cover ba- my little cover band version, and then I did some things for Arch and Stories as well. So that's everything that I've done. That was a long rant. Apologies. No,
0: no, it's great. I think uh, I always like to encourage people to check out our
3: guests' other work
0: and go and find out about it and pick out more.
3: Please do. I have nappies to buy for my child, so <laughs> <laughs> please do read my stuff. That would be good. Yes. Not just read it, buy it buy it well libraries are great as well that's true no harm to have a copy on the shelf exactly because then you can go back to it again and again (laughs) annotate
0: it if you like write all over it i don't mind and then buy another copy so you've got a clean version and give one to a friend for christmas
3: yeah two friends Three friends friends. family 15 doctors you know whatever you need exactly (laughs) (laughs) fantastic dave
0: it's been brilliant thank you so much that's my pleasure thanks for having me so there we go Thank you very much, Dave. The 2000 story is The Monster in the Cupboard, written by Kaylin Bayron and features Christopher Eccleston's Ninth Doctor. Lily thinks there are monsters in her house, hiding in the cupboard, and when a chance refuel lands the Doctor and Rose right on Lily's doorstep, they both agree she needs their help. When asked about the monster, Lily can only say it's made of immense light and power and, what's more, it's taken her mother and brother. It is a search that will take them from the Cardiff Rift right back to the childhood of Lily's grandmother and another disappearance all those years ago. The final release in this, bringing us up to date-ish, is the 2010 story, The Angel of Redemption by Nikita Gill, and unsurprisingly, it does feature the Weeping Angels. A poem of tragedy and beauty. The Weeping Angels are an ancient race of terrible power. Their true form is a mystery they wander the universe, cursed never to see one another, but they see everything else—the course of time and space—and even the journey of their deadliest enemy, the Doctor. One angel is different, though. One angel looks through time and sees so much more. Sadly, hadn't been able to get hold of Nikita to have a chat, but we'll give you a very quick sample of one of the chapters. This is a poem called "Fear," as the whole book is told in the form of poetry. There is a certain smell to fear, curdled milk, rotten apples, a flavour in the air, acrid, clammy, cold. Terror always knows how to announce itself, despite its best efforts and everywhere it hides. It is not very often that we hunt one of our own, but if one of our own gets in our way then that one of us must die. There you go, a wee bit of poetry to finish off today's episode. So Doctor Who The Decades Collection is available now, published by Penguin or BBC Books, and they're priced at £12.99 each. And they're all available as hardbacks. You know us. We like to go with a tune and I think it's quite obvious what we're going to be going with based on what I said earlier. Yep, you're absolutely right, because I love the Spice Girls, and if you take away one letter from the title of Dave Rudden's book, you get the title of the song we're going to play out with. Yep, we're going to go with the Spice Girls and Wannabe. We'll be back on Thursday, assuming that you're listening to this as it drops, and it'll be myself and Dave, and we're going to have a special guest whose name appears in a few Doctor Who episodes on the telly. In the classic years. But who could it be? Stay tuned, and there's a clue. Bye bye. want, really,
3: really want. tell me what you want, what you really, really want. you want, really, really tell me what you want, what you really, really want
1: my lover.
0: You gotta get with my friends. Make it last forever. Friendship never ends. If you wanna be my lover, you have got to
2: give.
1: Taking it to